I'm still a teacher at heart. Never, it never goes away, you know. So a few very quick sums just to get us warmed up. So nine plus six, easy, straightforward enough. Nine plus six over three, excellent. No sign of any socks and shoes coming off to count toes. B equals nine, so five B equals Excellent. One more. Oh, wow. That's quick. That's quick. Here's the big one. We're just putting... <laughs> just putting all those little bits together. Now, we'll leave that one for now. We're going to come back to it in a second because Lindsay is going to come and read for us. And Lindsay is a maths teacher. I knew we needed a proper teacher to help us with this. I'm no use because I was a principal. I know nothing. Paul was a jumping teacher and they're useless as well. <laughs> Alan, I'm not sure what he teaches. It's economics. Oh, well, it might get there. But no, Lindsay is going to come and solve the problem for us. Hopefully I can live up to that. Um, reading from Mark chapter 6, verse 32 to 35. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to all people. He also divided the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Thank you, Lindsay. My iPad has gone to sleep. So if you haven't worked it out, if you hadn't worked it out before, I'm sure you've got it sorted now. Um, 5L is five loaves and two fish, divided among 5,000, multiplied by Jesus, and everybody got one square meal, one meal squared. <laughs> I know it's a bit of a stretch, but, you know, um, and the remainder was 12B, or 12 baskets full of pieces. So, we're going to think about that story this morning. Um, we're going to think about the people involved in that story. <coughs> Mostly, we're centering Jesus and who he was and who he is now. 
Um, because what we're thinking about this morning is that Jesus provides. In the case we read this morning, in the story we read, he, was, he provided because he was moved with compassion for the crowds that he saw. They'd been walking for most cases, probably a day and a half, maybe two days. They'd slept out overnight. Yes, I've watched The Chosen. <laughs> I know the story. Um, but he's moved to act because of the compassion he had on those individuals. Not just on a crowd, but on the individuals in the crowd. He was looking out, and he was seeing the lives of those people. And he was seeing their need. And he'd been teaching them all day. And he knew that they were hungry. He knew they hadn't eaten. For whatever reason, they didn't seem to have brought food. And he looked beyond his disciples. He looked beyond the watching crowds. He looked beyond the religious people who were probably standing out the back somewhere or to one side, sneering at what he was teaching and quietly plotting his death. He looked beyond all of those people, and in his compassion and in his other miracles that we'll touch on later, he looked to the blind man at the side of the road. He looked to the lepers who were shunned by society. He looked to the woman with the issue of blood who people stayed away from. He looked to Jairus and his sick daughter who died. We looked he looked to the Roman centurion and his servant. And he was moved with compassion for the sickness, the sadness, the loneliness, the isolation. And he brought healing and forgiveness and newness of life. But just for the rest of our time this morning, let's try to imagine that we're on that hillside, we're in that crowd, or we're watching from the side, and we're aware of all that's going on. And we ask ourselves, who is Jesus? We're going to look at the miracles that he did, and this one in particular. We're going to see the manner in which he provided this morning for the crowd. And finally, we're going to, sorry, we're going to look at the people that Jesus used to provide and to bring about the miracle. And then finally, we're going to ask Jesus to use us. And we're going to have time and space to bring what we have to him. <clears throat> First of all, we see this morning that Jesus provides by using the ordinary to do the miraculous. Now, people are drawn, we're naturally drawn to the spectacular. We want to see special things happening in a way that we don't see every day. And this was just as true in Jesus' day as it is now. Um, but the reality is that most of the time, that's not how Jesus worked. Most of the time, it was quietly. It was in the life of an individual. It was a quiet conversation away from the crowds. Um, but as we've just read this morning, as Lindsay read to us, sometimes he did. Sometimes he did it in such a big way that we're still reading about it today. Wouldn't you love to have been there? Would you love to have been sitting on the grass among that crowd? Now, I'm going to be a wee bit cheeky, but can you imagine some of those angry husband and wife conversations? 
when they realized it was coming up to time for a meal and, and there wasn't any. You know, I can imagine, I don't know which one is which, you can work it out for yourselves, but, you know, this was another one of your brilliant ideas. Here we are, we've been walking for nearly two days. We had a sleep out in the grass, and those minging fishermen were so close I could smell them. And then there's your man there, Matthew. You know, the Roman-loving tax collector. Look at him. Who's he think he is? With all the money he's stolen from us, he could put us all up in the Jerusalem Hilton. You know, you imagine the conversation going back and forward. And anyway, I'm looking forward to my supper. What are we having? What do you mean, what are we having? Did you not bring it? I thought you were bringing it, and so on. The disciples didn't have any great suggestions as to how to solve the problem. Their suggestions were to either to send the people away to the villages and the towns to buy food, or to find the money. And the money was going to be about eight months' wages, or 200 denarii, or something like that. Whatever that was, it was a lot of money. It was more than they had. Their response was a bit like a committee meeting. <laughs> you know, a committee where, you know, individually nobody knows what to do, and collectively they decide that there's nothing to be done. But Jesus responded like a leader who knows what God is going to do. We know from what Lindsay read to us this morning that a small amount of food was found. It was very small, a tiny, ordinary, poor, simple meal. But Jesus took that into his hands, and he blessed it, and he multiplied it miraculously. <clears throat> when those loaves and fishes were, were handed to Jesus, they were ordinary, but they were given willingly. They were given with a cost to the person who gave them, because he was going to go without in his own, in his own mind. But when they left his hands and came into Jesus' hands, those little simple things, those loaves, those fish, became symbols of God's love, of God's compassion, of God's provision, and of God's triumph over nature. Remember this, the miracle, because we'll come back to this, the miracle takes place in Jesus' hands, not ours. Whatever we give to him, he can bless and multiply. In this case, in the case of this miracle, we're not the manufacturers of the miracle. The disciples were not the manufacturers. The disciples were the distributors. Watch the chosen. It's brilliant. You never thought you'd hear me say that, Paul. Let's have a quick look at some of Jesus' miracles, and we're just going to scoot through this very, very quickly. There were around three dozen miracles that Jesus performed in the New Testament. Now, I know there were countless miracles that we haven't had recorded, but around three dozen, depending how you count them, the gospel writers record them, but sometimes they seem to play them down a little bit, and that seems to be what Jesus wanted. He didn't want people coming to him just to see miracles. They wanted, he wanted people to come because they were coming to him, and they were going to see their lives changed. Many times when he healed someone, he told them, don't tell anybody. I always thought that seemed really strange when I was a child. Don't tell anyone what has happened to you. Some of the miracles, like the transfiguration, like the raising of the little 12-year-old girl from the dead, he only had his closest disciples with him. 
There were no crowds involved. <clears throat> and again, he told the disciples not to tell anyone. He refused to perform for officials and for crowds when they asked him to. And he seems to have recognized that the excitement that was generated by miracles didn't always convert into life-changing faith because people would just be looking for the next sensation, the next miracle. But of all the miracles that are recorded, the only one that's mentioned in all four Gospels is the one we're looking at this morning, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, there are people out there who will say that miracles have ceased, that miracles don't happen anymore. Some people take that view and they say that the miracles that, that Jesus was able to do were just a sign given by God that a new covenant was about to break into earth. And they were a sign, a mark of God to confirm who Jesus was. But I don't, I don't think I agree with that. If you want to hear about a real-life miracle that happened not all that long ago, I don't know whether she's here or not, so it's okay to embarrass her. I suggest you go and speak to Isabel, and she will tell you a story that really will make the hair in the back of your neck stand on end. But you'll have to buy her lunch. <laughs> Secondly, um, I looked quickly at trying to classify the different miracles, and in most things, I would tend to turn to C.S. Lewis because as the first place I go to, because he's amazing. And C.S. Lewis attempted a classification of miracles um, in a couple of different ways, but the one of, um, I want to just glance at quickly, miracles of fertility, and that's the sort of miracle the feeding of the 5,000 was. The other one that's well known is the water into wine, and that's where Jesus is able to simply, I say simply, but it's not simply, is it? To simply speed up what is natural. You know, grapes and water turn into wine through fermentation and I don't know what else. Corn grows, is harvested, is broken down, is ground, is milled, and turns into bread. Fish multiply by breeding and doing whatever fish do to make more fish. But Jesus made that speed up and made that happen in an instant. It must have been incredible. Miracles of healing are another one. Miracles of healing are self-explanatory. But in his miracles, Jesus turns on its head traditional views that were held at the time on things like birth defects, on disabilities, and the, the link that religious people put on people with difficulties, with illnesses, with disabilities, with blindness. The religious people link that either to their sin or to, to their parents' sin. Jesus just turned that on its head. Miracles of reversal would be like bringing people back from the dead, and we read so many of those, and Lazarus is a fantastic example of that. The miracle of destruction, there's only one miracle of destruction recorded. And again, when I read that, I thought, it's a bit strange, but that was the, where Jesus cursed the fig tree and the fig tree withered and died. We don't read of any other miracles of destruction. Miracles of dominion over the organic would include things like the calming of the storm or walking on water. You know, dominion over nature, dominion over the organic. 
And finally, miracles, and this is C.S. Lewis, so if you don't understand this, it's not my fault. Go and read C.S. Lewis, because he explains it far better than I can. Miracles of perfecting or glorification include things like the transfiguration, uh, even the resurrection, although I suppose that's a miracle of reversal as well, uh, and the ascension into heaven. So have a look at C.S. Lewis's book, Miracles, written in 1947, and it's still as good today as it was then. So let's look further on, moving on quickly. Jesus provides by using us to bring others to himself. There's no question that Jesus doesn't need us to do his will. He doesn't actually need to use us. We're told in John 1 that Jesus was involved in creation. And it says in John 1, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that had been made. We weren't involved in that. Jesus didn't need followers. He didn't need disciples. He didn't need us to do that. But he wants to use us. He chooses to use us to do miraculous and incredible things. Let's look at some of the people he used in the story this morning. Firstly, we're going to look very quickly, or we're going to read very quickly, um, a different version of the story. The story is recorded in all four Gospels, but the version that's recorded in John's Gospel is a little bit different because it gives us a wee bit more detail. It tells us this, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And here's the important bit. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? So the small details, but the very significant details that John spotted that maybe the other gospel writers weren't quite aware of, maybe they were in a different part of the crowd, a different part of the field, that John watched and that wrote down for our benefit, in case we didn't get a chance to watch The Chosen, was that the loaves and fishes that Jesus used to do the miracle belonged to a young boy, and that the young boy was brought to Jesus by Andrew. We don't know anything about him, except that he had a lunch or a f he had a meal with him. We don't know whether he was on his own. Uh, we don't know whether the food was food his mother had packed before he set out to follow the crowds. We just don't know. But we do know two simple things. We know that somehow a conversation took place, maybe with him, maybe with his parents, and Andrew. And we do know that Andrew persuaded him to come with him to Jesus. And then we know that he was willing to give what he had to eat, his own meal, into Jesus' hands. Again, it's one of those conversations I'd love to know what was said. I'd love to know how Andrew did that. This is the second of three times that we have recorded in the New Testament where Andrew brought someone else to Jesus. Let's quickly look at the other two, and we're not going to say anything about them. 
John 1, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples, that's John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and to tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Keep that in your mind. And the other very quick verse, John 12, two verses, 20 to 22, that's three verses. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. So keep, just think of those two verses that we've just read. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, or Peter as we come to know him, and tell him, we found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. How significant was it that Andrew brought Peter, who became the one that Jesus said, I built my church upon? Not sure if he became the first pope or not, but he certainly was a significant person in building Jesus' church. And then in the second verse, oh, sorry, I have to say, he's probably my least favorite character so far in The Chosen. He's just too Hollywood for me. Anyway, in the second reading, Sir, these Greeks said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip went in turn and told Jesus. Now, we don't actually know if those Greeks, and when you read the story, you find that they were worshipers at the temple, so they'd been before, but they wanted to see Jesus. We don't know if they ever got to speak to Jesus in the story because it moves on quickly and Jesus begins teaching after that. But I'd like to think they did. We do know that when Jesus spoke straight after this, he was predicting his death and he said these words, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. In other words, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles also and the Greeks. So in those two cases, we see Andrew deeply involved in bringing people to Jesus and Jesus transforming those people's lives or bringing them into the miracle, if you like. And the third one or you know, was the one we read earlier on about the, the feeding of the 5,000. So it seems, I don't think it's wrong to build a case on those three readings to say that Andrew was, first of all, he was a people person. People came to him, and he saw people who he wanted to bring to Jesus. He was a people person, and he was a problem solver. He saw the answer to the hungry crowd was to bring that wee boy to Jesus. Um, Andrew was a bringer, and that's what I want to say this morning when I talk about Jesus using us to bring others to himself. We need bringers. We all want our church to grow. We want to see new people. We want to see new faces. We want all those seats filled. 
I have to say to myself, I don't know the last time was that I brought somebody to church or even actually invited somebody to church. I do talk to people about the church I go to and what goes on and so on, but I've never actually said to them, Sunday morning, I'll come and pick you up and you can come to church with us. So if we want our church to grow, we need to be like Andrew. We need to be bringers. We have some bringers here. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but Diane is a bringer. Very often she has somebody coming with her. I don't see her there, so I can't embarrass her. Tommy didn't bring her. (laughs) Um, But Diane's a bringer. Lydia is a bringer. And Lydia is bound to be a bringer because her mom is a bringer. Dina is a bringer. Ellie is a bringer. I'm embarrassing her, and she's going to hit me afterwards. But we need to be bringers. People won't always come on their own, and it's so significant. Can I ask you a very personal question? How did you come to Jesus? How did you come to know Jesus? Was it all by yourself? Did you just read something, see something, hear, or just decide one day, I think I'll go to church, I think I'll go and hear about Jesus, or did you decide to go and buy a book or buy the Bible and read it? I bet you there was a person involved somewhere. Somebody took the trouble to talk to you, to lend you a book, to invite you to something, to bring you with them. We need bringers. Ask ourselves this morning, ask Jesus the question when we're thinking about who He is. Is there someone that He wants me to bring so He can do miraculous things with what they have in their hands? Almost finished. Very, very quickly. Jesus provides by asking us to give Him what we have in our hands. Let's go back and focus very quickly on the wee boy again on a small meal. The thing is, while he held on to it, while he put himself first, while he kept it in his own hands, in his own control, it was just that. It was just a small, insignificant, homemade meal. But when he puts it into Jesus' hands and trusts Jesus with it, it becomes a miracle. The miracle takes place in Jesus' hands, not in ours. Whatever we give to Him, He can bless and multiply. We're not the manufacturers. We're only the distributors. You'll be relieved, and I've dropped it into the conversation once or twice, that I'm finally converted, that Gail and I have binge-watched now three seasons of The Chosen. And after a shaky start and a few times when I got bored and went off and read a book, I kept going. And last Saturday night, we watched the last part that's available so far, which was season three, episode eight. Uh, Paul wanted me to show it this morning, but we haven't got time, Uh, which includes the feeding of the 5,000. It was well made. It was well done. And I have to say, I loved seeing the wee boy being brought by Andrew to Jesus, the bread and the fish being given into Jesus' hands, and then being blessed, broken, and multiplied, becoming something that would provide for thousands I'm that wee boy this morning. You're that wee boy this morning. Whatever we have, we need to come and bring that to Jesus. What do we have? You might feel we don't have anything, but we do. We were praying this morning before we came in to start the service, and I I prayed that the words that we sang and the words that were spoken would just 
run together and would flow together and we would hear God's voice. The last verse of the last song that the worship band sang were from that hymn. Were the whole realm of nature mine, my mind's gone blank. That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Don't say we've nothing to bring, guys. We all have things we can come with in our hands this morning, right now, to bring to Him. We have homes, and we can invite people to our homes and give them food, make them welcome, get to know them, and in that way introduce them to Jesus. We can use our cars, but don't use mine in the snow because it got stuck on Thursday. It was really embarrassing. We have cars. We can offer lifts to people to come to reach events, rise events, to life group, whatever. We have abilities and things we can do. We can, some of us can cook. Some of us can write well. You can help Tom do the newsletter, help Jules with the accounts. Bring those things to Jesus and see what he does with them. Are we good with kids? Are we good with young people? We can help. Bring those skills to Jesus and see what he does with them. Do we have free time? Are we retired? Are we an old grumpy so-and-so like me? Could we get involved with the mentoring program in Carrick Academy? Give that free time to Jesus and see what he does with it. There's so many things that we can bring in our hands to place into his hands. To go on a journey with him. What do you have to bring? I'm going to ask the worship team to make their way back up now. And while they're leading us, I want us to have an opportunity to bring those things to Jesus, to bring our lives to Jesus. And to do that this morning, while the guys are singing, and towards the end of the song, even just to come up to the front and to stand here and to offer those things Offer yourself to Jesus to bring what you have to him, to put it into his hands and to see what he does with it. If you want someone, if you'd like someone to pray with you this morning, that would be great. We'd be honored to do that. If you just want to be ministered to, if you want someone to stand alongside you, but if you just want to come and bring what you have to him, that would be amazing. The miracle takes place in Jesus' hands, not in ours. Whatever we give to him, he can bless and multiply. We are not the manufacturers, we are only the distributors. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're the one who provides. We thank you for how you have provided for all of us, your children. Help us now to bring what we have in our hands to you. Use it and use us to bless others in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our town, in our villages, in our church. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.